Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards. Today I've caught Tom Roach. With over 20 years' experience in the industry and a stack of IPA effectiveness awards to boot, Tom is one of the world's most respected strategists. He's worked at some brilliant agencies and acronyms like AMV, BBDO, BBH, Adam and Eve, DDB and Leo Burnett, creating exceptionally effective campaigns for a whole host of famous brands, McDonald's, Sainsbury's and the BBC to name just a few. Currently VP of Brand Planning at Jellyfish, he's dead set on championing the commercial value of creativity, which is partly why we like him so much. Tom says the advertising is deadline is probably more commonly deployed by people hyping up the dawn of a new era and new technologies. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks very much, Dars. What a what an intro. Um, and not without its um, bollocks and bullshit, but, that, but that's... Um, <laughs> We can't avoid it sometimes, can we? <laughs> True, okay. Uh, right, seven quick fires, Tom. Singing or dancing? Singing. Tom Hanks or Tom Hardy? Tom Hanks. Oh, correct answer. Burnett or Field? Or both, but Burnett. <laughs> uh, an IPA one here, Logic or Magic? Oh, you can't choose. But you're going to make me, aren't you? I am. I'm not moving on. Um, oh God, BBH talk about logic and magic, and I can't, I'm, I don't like to separate them. I really, really don't. You absolutely do need both, but I guess because I'm a strategist, you probably have to put me slightly on the logic side. Okay, sixty uh, forty or seventy twenty ten. What a ridiculous question! I, I do. Oh, nine nine ninety nine one, which is still at least. Um, I, I guess sixty forty, but I occasionally do deploy seventy twenty ten. Right. You know. uh, two more. TV or TikTok? Uh, oh, you can't make me. TV is more is currently more established, more proven, um, but slightly on the slide. Okay, last one. Um, a jellyfish one, which is ridiculous. Lion's mane or Portuguese man of war? Portuguese man of war. Just turned up on the beaches of Cornwall or Wales, I think, somewhere. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah, scary. Nice. I was unsure about that one. I thought just because you work at Jellyfish, I'm not sure if that's part of the initiation, doing some, <laughs> some jellyfish. It's funny. We, we, we have the, the name is Jellyfish, but we don't use it in our sort of distinctive assets at all. We don't use it as a thing. Um, it's a sort of rule, actually, weirdly, in our, in our kind of brand, our own brand um, armory. So, yeah, interesting. Interesting, yeah. Well, Tom, um, thank you for joining us. It's only taken a few years to finally happen. Yeah, sorry about that. We we first spoke, I think, in October, November 2019. Um, and I think we were talking about doing a joint one with, with Les and me, which would have been really fun and interesting. But um, yeah, for some reason, it fell off the fell off the agenda and now it's back on. So it's great. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem at all. It's good, it's good to talk to you, man. Really, really good to talk to you. So we know you've worked at some legendary agencies, uh, as mentioned in your intro. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners about your first 
ever job? And then what was your first kind of marketing strategy type role? Well, my first actual proper job was tragically in an agency. Um, although prior to that, I thought I was going to be a singer. So on the singing or dancing question, singing came quite easily. So I was a, a choral singer. I'd sung in choirs and I'd been a chorister as a kid and then a choral scholar in, in, a, in an Oxbridge college. And that, that and many of my peers went on to be opera singers and went to music college and that kind of thing. But I was taken to one side and told by my, my singing teacher that I just wasn't good enough. So I, I, I did a bit of that for a bit for the first sort of six or 12 months of, of um, professionally after I left university. Um, and it's, and I carried on actually, um, but sing, yeah, singing is something I've always done, but it wasn't to be as a career, probably fortunately, cause I'd be stuck in the, in the back row of some provincial cathedral choir, probably. And, and I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be having quite so much fun, um, in my, in my, in my work life, I suspect. So you can be a cool rule scholar, but you're still not good enough. Yeah, well, different kinds. I mean, we could talk forever about it, but there's different kinds of singer and, and it's it, my voice didn't have the scale and freedom that it needed to, to, to fill an opera house. It was rather constrained and, um, shall we say, English. Uh, so suited to, to a certain kind of music and not others. And do you still sing now, Tom? I, I do a bit. I get, I mean, I live in Cambridge, so I occasionally get the odd invitation to sing with a, with a you know, if there's an interesting performance or something going on. So if it looks and sounds, if the people sound nice and it sounds like a piece that I'd want to do, I'll do it. So, a, I don't know, Bart B minor mass or something like that. Um, but I, I find it increasingly difficult to hit the high notes, um, which is a tenor, which is a tenor is excruciating for everybody. So um, I, yeah, I, um, and I also find my voice is getting quieter and quieter and it's just, it's, it's terrible. It shows I'd never had the real technique that you need because singing is a real physical business. It's a, it's, you do it with the whole body and the, and the whole mind. And I think it was, it, it, yeah, it, I never quite learned how to do it properly. And that, that meant I, I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't, I couldn't do it as a, as a real thing. Well, we spoke to uh, Richard Huntington, because I know he's in a choir and he, he um, I'm trying to avoid saying sings the praises of singing, but. Um... Yeah, he's been very vocal about it, hasn't he? Um, sorry, little pun there, but he, um, and there's a number of different, of strategists that, that, that do it. I, and I think, I don't know, there's, a, in our business, it's great that people seem to often have an, another, maybe slightly more creative string to their bow hinterland thing which i think is often a sign that somebody's got something interesting going on yeah amazing um and then what was this first job in an agency then the first job in age so i wrote so when my singing teacher said you you don't you're not cut out to be a singer so you need to get a real job i then i wrote a whole bunch of letters to a whole bunch of agencies and did all the graduate um, application forms didn't get anything but got a um a reply back from a little agency called court burkett and company who were in um, we're in Tottenham Court Road and founded by a guy called Hugh Burkett, who's a sort of legendary character in marketing and advertising. And he um, he gave me some work experience um, and I worked there on work experience and got a, got a job. So I was an account exec, turned into a, to a real job. Um, I was there for like 18 months and then I moved on to A&B, um, BBDO. But that was a real, it was back in 98 and it was a small agency of about 50 people. It still had a media department. And I think possibly that experience, you know, that was in a world where media was had mostly split from the creative agency world. But you could still find media in little pockets of, of creative agencies. And so we, we that was that was a fun and interesting experience. Worked on some great brands, things like 
Southern Comfort and Pims and some some of those brands that are now Diageo. Bell's Whiskey was one. GNER. What else do I work on? Singapore Airlines, Singapore Tourist Board. Um, so some some and Peroni actually was my was one of my first brands. So we brought that to the to the UK. Um, so really really interesting little experience. But I quickly quickly realised that I needed to, to to get out of there and into a to a bigger place, into a bigger pond, really. Um, and so I went to AMV as an account um, account manager, and then switched to strategy uh, quite soon after. After I think the planning director on the account on, that I was on, which was Mars Confectionery, we didn't have a, a planner, and the the head of planning at the time sort of spotted me and thought that I was probably more suited, which I think is probably true. I'd have been an awful account account man, suit client, whatever uh, client, client management person. If I'd carried on, I think it was not my not really my bag. It's it's funny how many people move away from that, and and how few I've spoken to have moved into that. Um, it seems to be quite a well trodden path. In fact, even you could probably go back even further from studying history to smaller, often independent agency to bigger agency, and then away from account management. Yeah, I think. I think uh, you know it's like anything. If you're suited for a certain thing, you, sh- you should really, really, you know, double down on that. I- I'm a really big fan of great account people. I think they're often unsung, unsung heroes. Um, I think we should make more of them. I think client management, account management is a tremendously important role, but but is undervalued. And I've seen in certain agencies, um, it, you know, people, leadership trying to devalue it and trying to turn it into something that it isn't. And I'm, I'm a big supporter of it. And I, I always think that there should be more. There should be some awards for account people, you know, best best sell, um, best relationship, these sorts of things that are so important. I'm, I'm a, I have this idea that that great account people are snowplows. They they clear away. They they look ahead and they clear away the issues that are coming down the tracks. Um, for, for, for to, to, to help create a brilliant environment, environment um, in, in, in which to make great creative work, great effective creative work. And, and really great um, client management people do that effortlessly. And I, I, I love it and I, and I could never do it, but I, I, I watch it from afar and admire it. Yeah, well, that's well said. It's good to know too. Um, so prior to writing all those letters and getting that first gig, did you know then that you wanted to get into the agency world? Yeah, interesting question. I... I I think that I I think since my English GCSE class we um, I'd sort of it would be in the back of my mind and then when I was at the end of my degree and I needed to get a job it sort of came to, to the front of my mind oh, that's what I'm going to do and what happened if I go back I can remember Gavin Watson our English GCSE teacher and he showed us in class a a video of. Um, what must have been Cannes award winners or some great award-winning advertising. And on that video was Guardian points of view amongst other brilliant things. So actually a, a, a John Webster, BMP, DDB, a classic commercial. And we analysed it amongst these other ads. And, and I think at that moment, I'd always been into pop culture. And I think at that moment, I realised that this stuff called advertising could was, you know, both low culture pop culture regular culture um stuff that was in just in the culture but that could be analyzed and looked at and thought about and it uncovered a, a sort of i guess an intellectual world a sort of logical world of, of uh, 
around around that particular area of culture that I didn't realize existed. So you could analyze a TV commercial in the same way that you could talk about a poem or a novel. And that that I think um, liberated me to uh, to to think, ah, this is a this is a world that's quite interesting that you can get into. Uh, maybe and I, at that point I hadn't thought about it as a job but it was only later that I did and I think and I and it obviously is only really in hindsight that I can trace back to that moment but it definitely was that moment I was like ah this thing called advertising can actually be quite smart and can be a, could be a career or could be something that you could spend time thinking about and doing um, and so yeah that that particular commercial has quite a big place in my in my heart, actually, as a, as a, as a, I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of advertising, super emotional, but incredibly smart and clever at the same time, and done, done by an agency absolutely at the top of its game in, I think, the early 80s. Although um, Guinness Surfer remains your favourite, though. Uh, yeah, I think, well, where have I said that? I probably have said that. Yeah, I think, I think it probably, yeah, it's funny, I, I, I think you have to say it's funny when you look back at Guardian points of view, it's very clever. It doesn't quite have that scale and impact that, that I think you, you, some of the really truly big productions that became, that came later. And I guess probably were possible through, through, through the kind of CGI and, and, and and the technology, technological developments that became possible. But yeah, Guinness Guinness stuff is amazing. I had the great fortune of, of working very briefly with um, with with Walt Campbell at AMV, and actually met him properly for the first time su- subsequent to that recently, and had a great chat. And just think he's just a genius and slightly twisted mind. Um, and if you look at his reel, he's got the most incredible reel of work, uh, unbelievable portfolio, a, a portfolio that um, when you look at his website, he's, he's got a better, a better reel than, than most continents have ever produced. <laughs> if you add it all up, it's un- unbelievable. And all of it has this, this just tremendous m- magic, sur- surrealness, darkness, weirdness, oddness that I think is rare. It was rare then. It's, it's vanishingly rare now to get the kind of um, the the strangeness of creativity that, that that used to be allowed on our screens and seems to not appear so much anymore. Well, and, and it's so important, really, isn't it? I mean, you, as someone who's just said you you were interested in a fan of pop culture ads that kind of transcend into culture. Something we talked about with Paul Feldwick are it might, it might, maybe maybe it's one of those things that you just say as you get older and actually it's not so much true but I remember talking to Paul Feldwick about his brilliant Barclay card ads and as a kid and someone who uh, to pick up your points of that exposure you had via your English teacher of Adland to me I, I felt really removed from it and didn't really understand it to even be a career option and yet at the same time I was simultaneously falling in love with these silly wonderful ads with Rowan Atkinson and, and Boff. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, great campaign. Um, and again, another BMP DDB classic. I, I, I think, you know, we, I think we've left the era when great creative TV advertising was was so much of a cultural force. But I don't want to be um, a kind of nostalgia, rose-tinted person about that. We have many, many new forms of creativity that we perhaps that, that are different and and are, are different tools and, and tactics that we've got these days um, to, to to get under the skin of and to use. Um, I, I suspect the the truly great the era of the truly great TV commercial is probably behind us. 
but let's not let's not kid ourselves amongst amongst the 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 one percent of amazing things that were on our screens even back then there was some absolute trash <laughs> yeah well said and I, and I don't think the era of truly great advertising is by any means over so there's no, no of course not and you know I mean I look back and I I've got things that I that I I remember in, in my like ads and campaigns that must have had thousands and thousands of, of TVRs behind them from a local uh, department store. Arding and Hobbs in Clapham Junction used to advertise to me as a, as a, as a, as a four-year-old or five-year-old living in Berkshire. That's just mad. You know, uh, it didn't need to do that. And yet it's absolutely lodged in my head as a TV commercial to this day. And they, 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 they spent way too much doing that. That, and that was part of and many other many other brands that you know I could mention just didn't need to do that and now and now brands like that have many other tools that are more appropriate for the kind of businesses they are I think that's 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 um, that's progress there's a, there's a few meatier topics that I, I really want to get into Tom and to be honest it's probably bad planning on my side of things I haven't necessarily decided even as I sp- talk now in which order we're going to go through them but maybe it would make sense to fast forward to your position now, given you have touched on a lot of these other, um, you know, stellar agencies, and talk about Jellyfish, where you find yourself now, because Jellyfish is, I think, quite proudly different from uh, agencies. Uh, you've talked about that, and you've certainly written about that. Can you explain a bit more about what you currently do and how that is different to what you've done historically? First of all, it's probably worth just saying what Jellyfish is, and then I can talk about what I do there. But so je- Jellyfish is. And, and f- forgive the, the 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 jargon, but I think it's probably describe you describe it as a kind of new era or new breed of digital first marketing services company. We do all sorts of things. Our history is more in the performance space, PPC, search, SEO. We've um, developed um, a significant media business off the back of that. We are increasingly doing creative content of all kinds. And, and around that, we now have brand strategy, media strategy, um, which, which kind of completes the, the picture. So the, the journey that I've gone from you know, upper funnel, if you want to use the funnel metaphor agencies, uh, to what was probably a lower funnel agency, but that is, is, is heading up the funnel. So we've kind of met in the middle. I've come down it and, and Jellyfish is heading up it. Um, and and so um, it, I wrote a, a thing called the wrong and the short of it a couple of years ago, and that got circulated at Jellyfish by by somebody who subsequently I, I met and who hired me. And, and and his perspective was, yeah, this is this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to combine the two. And so this this theme that I bang on about and the kind of you know uh, this, this this idea about doing brand and performance at the same time, both bothism is what 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 Ritson has called it is 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 what we are trying to do and uh, amongst many other things i have to say and so brand strategy at jellyfish is um is at the heart of that it's it's when it when we have a not all of our clients are we doing creative work for but when we're doing creativity creative content for a client um, and media it comes together uh, really well and we are we're doing you know brand thinking and media planning and and creative thinking all at the same time in the same in the same meetings in the same conversations we're not you know we're bringing those things back together in a way that they've been split before 
and that's quite an exciting exciting thing an exciting place to be because it's it's been it's been too siloed too too um, bifurcated i think and also there've been other you know there's the, the kind of the, the lower funnel um people called performance people have not necessarily been exposed to some of the kind of brand brand thinking um some of the 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 work and theory that's done by the likes of Les Burnett and Peter Field and Byron Sharp and all those kinds of people. Um, and so bringing that kind of thinking to those kinds of conversations uh, opens up new opportunities and new prospects and, and people are incredibly eager to learn about that sort of stuff. And it, and it can put a new, a new sort of, I guess, intellectual theoretical framework across it. Um, and so something like, I, I wrote a thing about this, the sales funnel and trying to improve it and modify it in, in, it, um, in light of some of the sorts of work that people like Byron Sharp have done, and that 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 framework has been adopted by us for our for our media clients. So we're we're using that on a regular basis um, on on the work we do for a whole whole range of clients. We use it in pitches, and it seems to work, which to, to, which is great because I I wrote it. Not, I'm not a media person really, and I wrote it not really properly understanding a lot of what I was talking about. Um, because I'm not an expert in some of it, um, but it seems to fit and it seems to work and it seems to reflect the the um, and uh, reflect the the kind of um, instinctive thinking that a lot of our um, uh, our experts at the lower funnel end of things um, would, were doing anyway. So it's it, it was really encouraging when that that piece on the funnel seemed to chime with with what our you know people on the, at the coalface are actually doing here. We're a fan of your um, new and improved funnel here, as I'm sure I think you've been told already by Beth, because we've adopted it with full credit, mostly to articulate the, I suppose, the the way that historically funnels have been understood. I mean, very rigid and linear. And I, and I must say, just in, just in defence, I suppose, of some of the criticism that, that, that the sales funnel I see receive is is that I think it's unfair to criticize a metaphor for being a metaphor. Yeah, and it's just a model, and it you know, I, Ritson when I wrote that thing was a bit scathing because he's like, no, we shouldn't we shouldn't use the sales funnel. We we need to have our own bespoke customer journeys and and plan our communications campaigns that way, which I also wholeheartedly agree with. It's just the the sales funnel is a reality of of much of how um, certainly ad inventory, digital ad inventory is sold and packaged by the platform so let's use that and let's develop from it rather than than kind of um completely chucking it out because then we're then we're none of us are talking the same language so at least it's a it's a metaphor around which or this slightly evolved version of it at least is a metaphor around which we can all we can all get behind and build from rather than you know it just gives you a, a common framework to start with no exactly that and it enables good things to then happen and effective work to come from it it's one of those things i mean if you ask anyone to simplify anything so complex <laughs> they're, they're gonna have to leave certain things out yeah no and no framework should be you know we should never be slavish to them i love there was a phrase we used to work use at mcdonald's with Leah Burnett, which was freedom within a framework that's what you should always be aiming for i think with any kind of framework is some principles and guidelines, but also the freedom to, to to do the right thing, the bespoke thing, the tailored thing for your particular problem or issue you've got. Freedom within a framework. I love that. Alliteration always works. It does. It really does. Just again, a bit more about the media and creative working together, because it's one of those one of those topics that I have spoken about recently. It came up when I was talking to Rich Kirk, Kirti Nair as well. We we touched on that, and I think. You know, going way back, maybe a couple of years, I remember Rory Sutherland talking about it on the pods, how it's one of those things that when they did split in the first place, and we can all point fingers over why that might have been, it, it seems quite obvious to those within that there were going to be issues. 
and I was looking, I was actually looking earlier for some notes from that recording, because as I say, it was over two years ago. And I stumbled on something that was shared today. It's a quote that Rory gave recently. Separating media from creative is a little like cutting a Sudoku into nine separate squares, handing them to different people and asking them to solve it, <laughs> which is which is uh, unsurprisingly brilliant. Well, Rory, Rory is the is the you know has the best bond mode, doesn't he? And the, he's got the best best jokes in the industry. Um, and um, yeah. By the way, never follow Rory Sutherland on stage if you're ever needing to do that or being asked to do that. I did, I did it once and regretted it and have sort of that recovered. Yeah, it, it's obviously, there were, yeah, as you say, there were practical reasons or commercial reasons for, for the split. It's just when you get media and creative and sort of strategy people together in a room, it's just, to me, it's just about um, human relationships and the great things that can happen when smart people get together and do and 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 try and solve a problem together. Um, if you're in separate rooms doing separate things, brief separately, separate buildings, separate countries, even with a, a separate brief from a client where you've all been asked something to do something in a slightly different way, and you're doing it in a silo, plainly that's not going to end as well as it could if you're all talking from the beginning. So, sometimes. Of course, it can sometimes work that the media plan is 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 a thing that's handed to the creative agency, and they can express themselves within that media plan. And of course, uh, the other way works can works really really well sometimes, which is you know, creative agency has a has a brilliant idea, and then um, the, the 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 media agency build on that and and look at how you then express that idea in different places. But I'd much rather those conversations happen simultaneously with this, in the same at the same time, um, because there's a chance that you can build on things and you can have that flexibility to to add things. You know, if it, it's just and I think particularly in this world today where we've we've never been with the platforms that we have, the kind of creativity that needs to happen on those platforms is can be so bespoke to to, to the platforms. You think about what a TikTok. Uh, looks like versus another kind of video you, you need to be really native and you need creative people who are in that platform and who have an understanding of the platform and the media in the platform the formats in the platform so I think to divorce the um the the the, the creativity that uh, let's call it the message from the medium is 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 nonsense we know those two things are so connected we know the best uh, creativity absolutely is 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 kind of indivisible from the medium that it appears in. So to, to divide up the process and the people completely and silo them, it just is plain wrong. Um, so it's great to be able to do those two things together, uh, or three things even. Um, and we, you know, we do that as much as we can. It's not always the case at, at Jellyfish because sometimes we've got a media account, sometimes it's a creative account. You know, sometimes when we're only doing a bit of it, and so that's it's not possible to have it in the in the sort of dream scenario where all, where you're all working together. Um, but but my best experiences so far have definitely been where you are working together. Um, and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't um, be a, a, I couldn't feel better about about it. I don't think we've necessarily um, done something truly amazing yet um, that I could hold up and go, this, this is a you know, point to as an example of this is what happens when you do the two things together, but I've seen it, um, and, and experienced it and, and, and had good, good experiences 
which would are definitely better than they would have been without the connection. Yeah, it's, it's that age old, um, it's that lovely quote, isn't it, which we used for a few years because we were, well, remain media neutral. Of if all you're holding is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you've got all of these tools within your agency or even just knowledge of those tools and you see it as a collection of, of you know, intelligent people rather than a collection of people that just do performance. Completely. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I know now for having stepped out of the, the, agent, the creative agency world that I was in, I, I can now look back and see that whilst I thought I was doing um, strategies to, to come up with really big ideas that could work anywhere, the reality is probably that I was more focused on TV than than um, because that was the nature of the clients that we had and the kind of media that they were they were using, um, and definitely we were you know I've been for for much of my career I've been focused probably too much on a particular channel which is TV, um, and that's why you know it's it's, it's it, I, partly why I've gone to this new kind of world where I've got a, a I think a wider variety of t- of, of channel types t- tools to to play with um so there's a um yeah it's a there's a richer set of things to 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 express creativity through i think yeah it must be quite a journey for jellyfish actually because i remember years and years ago now jellyfish were one of the uh, training providers we used as an agency uh, i think we sent some some of the team up to the shard to do some you know google training and seo work um so so for someone who was so uh, significantly focused on, on on performance and that kind of you know lower funnel um, to then migrate and move up is actually really interesting and I wonder if there's been uh, surely there'll be friction within that of course it'd be mad if there wasn't some type of friction but of course there will be I mean we're so we we will yeah you know, we still have a really huge training business and it's selling all sorts of training courses in different specialisms uh, probably more in the, the sort of te- the technical end of things, and probably more at the sort of mid lower funnel end of things. Um, but yeah, are there are there growing pains? Of course there are, um, as you're trying to add new different capabilities into the mix um, and trying to integrate them into one coherent system. And you need new kinds of philosophies, new kinds of thinking, new new tools to to try and bond those things together. And I suspect that's why the funnel thing um, caught on because it tried to speak across the, across the metaphor of the funnel, which is, you know, that, 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 that is the one, I think that's why I'm attracted to those sorts of metaphors because they're, they, they, um, they're, they're models that combine the full picture. Um, and so, yeah, that it, it's, you know, we, we still have brilliant specialists in all of these different areas and it's, one of the, the, the exciting challenges is getting them speaking to each other and and learning from each other and it's it's re- it's you know one day i'll be you know briefing a copywriter who only writes copy for the app stores and the next it'll be somebody who's just an amazing expert in seo who's doing all of nike's seo and that's it's complete it's new to me and it's, i think it's really interesting for everybody and as a, as a business, we're, I mean, we're pretty big now with two, two and a half thousand people, 42 offices and different offices will have different centers of gravity. Some will be more at the tech end of things and the data end of things. Some of the bigger offices will have a, a, a more diverse mix, but we're, we're, I think that cross fertilization of capabilities is very exciting. You just need to make sure everyone's you know it knows the full breadth of what we do and there's a you know it's one brand one coherent uh, 
sort of brand that's integrated. And so if we acquire new businesses, there's a big focus on, 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 um, you know, integrating them really quickly and making sure everybody's um, one, one kind of having one cultural experience. Um, but it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds exciting. And it, it was nice earlier on you clarified that, you know, good work can happen when departments do operate in silos. But I think the, I suppose the key thing there is that work can still work despite the disconnect rather than, you know, because of it, it's only going to benefit you. You know, it's, it would make no sense for me to say you can only do it like that because so many of our clients were doing, so, you know, one thing or two or three different things. We're not necessarily doing media and creative together yet on um so it's 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 an experiment and it's something we're all learning from um i want to uh, before we get into listener questions because we do have quite a few to put to you i want to jump into something you wrote recently about advertising and why advertising will never die i did quote to you in that in the intro um about how that you know idea or that the idea that advertising is dying is, is probably more commonly shared by people hyping up the new, you know, new eras and new technologies and new, new tools. And I think you're spot on. But why did you feel like you had to write that piece recently? Good question. Uh, why did I write that? I think an, just an annoyance at, the, at the, the, the endless cliche you see so often repeated um, that advertising is dead. I think there'd been a very recent quote from Droger saying that. And it's just a, it had become a cliche and it was a sort of frustration with the cliche and wanting to get under the skin of it and understand why we have this sort of self-denying or self-wounding sort of um, view of what we do. Um, and we've all been part of this kind of conspiracy sort of slagging off advertising, a sort of which is just dumb, given, given the, the, the fact that some of the very, very biggest, most successful companies in the world are advertising businesses and this strange disconnect between those two facts. And I think... Uh, yeah, it, it was it was about people coming along, slagging off the old thing, selling I've got a saying I've got a new thing to sell you, when actually that new thing is really just a new kind of advertising, um, and getting frustrated with that. And I, I'd much rather people all, you know, we were all, you know, one big happy family going, yeah, isn't this new world exciting? Don't we have this incredible array of new tools available to us? I know that's not going to be the way anybody sells anything. You know, you've got a new company, you're always going to try and position yourself against the old thing. It's, yeah, it's just sort of, you know, a bit of a, a, bit of a rant really, but just trying to understand what, what was, what, what's going on when you see this stuff and try and get people to, to, to look beyond what this, and so much of what we, see, what we see and read in the marketing press and beyond is, is actually just salesmanship. It's people selling you something. It's not necessarily real research or real data or, or anything that's got any any real credibility behind it. Um, I get frustrated when you see you see articles and you're like, no, that's just somebody selling something. Um, often, what I'm I mean, I'm, I hold my hand up. I'm often selling something in everything I write, but uh, it's yeah, because I'm not a, I'm not a, an academic. I'm not a researcher. I've not got um, a ton of real data that I'm that I'm sitting on. But yeah, it was a kind of it was a rant really. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles, at gasp.agency. Only last week, some pod-listing companies did just that, calling for guidance on research and brand positioning. But we're definitely not asking you to do that. Anyway, back to the show. And finally, brand purpose. Let's talk a little bit about brand purpose. What a load of fucking nonsense brand purpose is, yeah? 
Oh, the godfather of marketing, Mark Ritson, telling it like it is. Not what we were after. Hang on. <laughs> oh, here we go. We need to let them out every now and then, don't we? I mean, I do more than most. But I, but I, th- I, I certainly think we should be proud of advertising. I, sh- I shared, um, I'm often sharing uh, Jeremy Bullmore's wonderful writings just because I think uh, it surprises me how few people have even heard of Jeremy, let alone read his wonderful wisdom. But I shared a very short piece, Plonk and Placebo, uh, recently. And it's funny, even reading that, and it's certainly a conversation that, again, nodding back to Rory, other people have developed in the last, you know, couple of decades even further and, and probably, you know, widely known for. But that that, that value that is brought through brands uh, is undeniable. And and I, and I do think we need to be prouder of that as an industry. Yeah. I mean, it, we we are surrounded by incredible success stories of, 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 of huge brands, brands like, you know, Google and Nike and Apple, I guess, are the usual, usual types. That, that have made the modern world that's around us. Uh, and we should be proud of that. Obviously, you know, uh, brand advertising is probably lesser, lesser component of those successes than maybe it might have been in the past. But brand thinking applied across businesses, across channels, across, you know, not just communications, but all sorts of disciplines is, is phenomenally powerful and valuable and um, and we need to be really proud of it and 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 the impact that it can have. Um, and within that, yeah, advertising still has a huge role to play. And we shouldn't be, you know, I guess we were slightly guilty of it early in, the, in this conversation. We shouldn't we shouldn't be too down on what's what's changing in in the world of advertising. It is very exciting what can be achieved. And do we need to be more creative with some of the new new tools we've got available to us? Yeah, of course we do. But some of these some of these things we've got available to us are only a couple of years old. You know, TV took probably 30 years to get any good as an advertising channel. So give us some time and we will we will begin to deploy creativity in that incredible way we do in this industry, which is we we apply, you know, human imagination and creativity at scale to enormous businesses and make them better and different and um, and make them more valuable. And that's that's something to be celebrated. Yeah, well said. Um, I'm going to move to listener questions, Tom. So, asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names or Boris, we are recording today, is notoriously fraught with danger, but that's not stopped us asking. So, we've chosen three to put to you. Uh, I'm going to start with Johnny McGrath-Smith, who says, I loved Tom's candid piece, I've never heard of Jellyfish, when he first joined. And in this, he mentioned learning about bringing brand and performance closer together. So I would love to hear what that's looked like. So I know we've touched on this, Tom, but maybe like some practicalities of how it's, you know, presented and how that actually works when you're meeting with a client who historically might not have, you know, joined them themselves internally. Yeah, yeah. So a practical example, yes, we have touched on this, haven't we? But a practical example, working with an aviation startup very recently called Connect Air, who are a US-UK startup. They want to be the Uber or Lyft of, of flying so they want to, to, to build a business that is um, an on-demand private flight network using all the local airfields that exist in the States, the thousands of, of pilots, small planes, not necessarily private jets, in fact, not private jets, so small propeller planes, and be in a, 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 um, an app where you can literally decide on-demand to, to fly from, from one city to another or one region to another. Um, much, much more cheaply than than you would expect to do so. So that's a, a 
really interesting startup. We, um, they came to us, brand strategy developed a brand positioning for them and a brand platform, creative platform, a brand platform that is essentially open the skies was the line. So democratizing the joy of flight was the, was the, was the idea. Um, and we applied that um, to uh, sitting alongside media strategy, media planning. The first application of that idea we applied to some creative work, which was going to be um, for a WeFunder campaign. So one of the very early first campaigns was going to be trying to raise some money alongside some of them, their bigger um, investment conversations that they've been having. And so we made some, some videos, some Facebook videos and others to, to try and get people to, 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 to click through and to, to, to raise some money for that, for that, for that business. So brand strategy, creative people, media strat. Um, working very closely, a media person that's that's probably more used to working on those those sorts of performance driven direct response types types of campaigns, uh, being able to think more broadly than perhaps previously because they were given a, an idea with real creative legs that was going to be an idea that that's going to start building that business that's going to be present in all of their marketing materials that is that they've got um, that they've got going and is part of their pitch deck etc so a bit of brand thinking applied to a very small performance led campaign and that you know so that's a very practical example and the clients they talked i think they felt that this was a new way of doing things they they um, they talked about this is amazing that we've got the left and right brains going on at the same time you've got the got the kind of I guess, more quant side of things and thinking about how you deliver the media on campaigns like that. And the more, um, is it right brain or left brain? I can never remember which, um, but the more creative side of things happening at the same time. So simultaneously, same people, same call, same presentation, uh, not separated. So that that really is the practical example. So I've just wanged on a bit too much about that. No, not at all. No, that, that's, that's really interesting to hear. You know, it's, it's, it's not, there's no, I, I don't think there's any great mystery, but it's just opening up those possibilities of cross-fertilization and having the same conversations at the same time and problem solving creatively. Do you, do you also um, prefer, and, and do you see it as a benefit that you then become ultimately responsible rather than there being, you know, other departments? Or yeah, other- I guess it's a corporate sort of corporate responsibilities. You're, t- you're all in it together. You're all thinking about it together. Um, you can't just I think there's a um, a disease that's maybe happened um, from the more upper funnel end of the world where, you know, in the old days, if you were making one big TV commercial, that was fine. But these days, if you're making lots of things, lots of smaller things, some of the people in those earlier conversations don't ever see this, the smaller pieces of creativity that are that are being maybe more fragmented or you know disappearing onto onto platforms that those people don't use and there's a slight invisibility that can happen i think with that invisibility of seeing the advertising seeing the output there's a kind of not seeing the issues or not seeing it firsthand or or not not um kind of troubleshooting in the same way that you can if you're if you're seeing if you're seeing it firsthand so uh, it, it 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 being part of those conversations and, and throughout means that everybody is responsible together as opposed to that kind of baton passing um, or Chinese kind of whispers effect, I suppose, where things get watered down. And by the end of it, nobody, n- nobody who started out thinking about it is particularly interested in the output. I think it means that everybody can be interested in the output at the same time. I remember years and years ago, so probably, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago prior to us starting 
Gas, my brother Andrew, who I've subsequently found out you worked with at Leo Burnett, you said to me about being a small independent that actually um, there's something really strong from a from a you know client conversation to explain that as a small independent, for example, we can't hide behind say the McDonald's account that they could, not that they did, <laughs> but uh, but there is something really powerful about that. So that's something else that that maybe is is relevant. I don't know. Uh, question two then. I've made it clear already that I'm not happy with how this uh, this person is introduced, but I'm not gonna I'm gonna stick to the script. The annoyingly handsome um, and pod alumni Nick Ellis, in response to Johnny's question that was shared on Twitter, says also on that point, I remember the piece um, you wrote well. Arguably, you have nothing to prove anymore. You've already achieved Hall of Fame status. So, what drives you to seek new challenges, Tom? Oh God, I really haven't achieved whatever hall of fame status is and i i i don't feel like i think there's lots of things to do i what drives me i mean i want to carry on learning stuff i want to know how this new world works as well as i thought i knew how the 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 previous era worked i like i I, I still love making campaigns still want to carry on doing that yeah, it's the same things that have that, that that have always driven me. I suppose it's just it's just learning about stuff and working on great brands and helping build brands and and working with creative people. I mean, you know, th- this this is a business that is so much more fun than than some of the things that we could have ended up doing. So, uh, you know, I could have been a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. And this is this is actually fun. So yeah, I just want to carry on, carry on working and, and having fun and learning stuff. It's not, I don't think it's particularly, but I would absolutely deny that in any way I'm, I've got a kind of status like that. There's a, there's a weird Twitter thing, I suppose, or sort of Twitter LinkedIn thing where if, if you've got a few followers and you've, you've written some things, people assume a level of sort of status, which is very, very strange to me you know that there are genuine legends in this business or have been and I'm not one of them and I've, I'm lucky to have worked with a couple of them I think um and that but there's that certainly not um don't have that status so restaurants don't clear spaces and bring tables out of nowhere for you yet no they don't <laughs> they don't nor, nor, should they, nor will they ever, nor should they ever. <laughs> amazing it's advertising right exactly Good answer. Uh, and then the last uh, listener question, at least, is uh, another call to action alumni, Will Humphrey. And he asks, how do you think agencies can get their mojo back in an increasingly short-termism tactical marketplace? It's difficult, isn't it? So it, creative agencies in particular, I suppose to some degree the media agencies, that they fear what's coming. And I, I, I'm not sure that there's any, and they, they, they will, t- and I've heard in every agency I've ever worked with of, of the other, of, of those type, um, there's always this conversation about how we get back to where we were and getting our mojo back. And this year's going to be different. And I'm not sure, you know, it, I'm not sure that um, that framing the, you know, framing the sense of progress as a as a as a way to get something back doesn't feel like the right way to go somehow. Um, I, I I don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure if I agree with the 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 assumptions within it. I think you know the the creative agency world is probably declining a little bit, or at least the bigger companies are, are shrinking a little bit. 
But there's some tremendous um, small independent agencies doing amazing things. And so maybe it's if you look at it as a category, um, look at the ones that really are achieving. I mean, if you look, if, you know, pe- the, the much fated Uncommons and Drogas and, and people like that, they're doing it in Pablo. They're doing amazing things with s- small number of people. They're changing the, the way they do things. They're employing different kinds of structures, smaller number of people, maybe more freelancers, and they're able to achieve great things. So I, I think a sort of nostalgia for four or 500 people in a building in Soho or West London or Paddington, I'm not sure is the answer um, to, to the question of getting your mojo back. Try doing new things, getting your hands dirty, trying new models has to be the way to do that, doesn't it, I think? Um, I'm sure you're part of that, you know, that, that sort of world. What, the Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant? The, 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 the Reading and Bristol uh, regional thing that you and, you and the guys at Halo have got going on. Awesome. Nice one. Good, good answer again, Tom. The final part of the interview then is our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests. And that starts with, what advice would you give to your younger self? My younger self... I would tell them that uh, nobody knows anything. So don't be fearful of trying new things. Don't, be, don't, don't feel like you've got to be an expert before you do anything because really there are no experts. Nobody knows anything particularly. Yes, of course, there's expertise, but don't, don't let that be a hindrance because I think, and I still have it to this day, I, I, I kind of like to bec- become you know, knowledgeable in a thing before I'll try and do anything in that. And maybe that that can be a hindrance. Maybe it slows you down a bit, kind of a, a reticence or something. And the other the other thing I'd say is just avoid cynicism. It's a brilliant uh, thing that they used to say at BBH, to avoid the three Cs of cynicism, complacency, and um, and what was the other one? I can't remember it. Um, and I, I think as a planner or a strategist, sometimes you can get a bit negative or cynical and that's a hindrance to creativity so always always see the see the upside see the positive try and build on things don't 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 be negative um because that's a that's a hindrance to creativity it hampers it yeah the nobody knows anything reminded me of that is it the dunning kruger curve that you get and you you kind of do see it and and, you know i'm probably i'm probably in a deeper place than i you know care to admit it's one of those things isn't it where you see people who believe they then relatively know so much once they've learned something and actually all it does is expose what you don't know but it's uh, yeah good advice uh, number two if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why probably bullshit uh, you know you, you talked about it in your intro I think there's an awful lot of hot air that's spoken I don't think it does us any favors I think it makes us look a bit stupid I think I think we like to use jargon and bullshit to kind of protect ourselves from from looking um, out of touch uh, look and from make, and to make ourselves look smart and modern and I think mostly at a, at a very senior level at least in companies plain speaking simple concepts um, commonalities across disciplines are more powerful than than um, the divisions and silos that using jargon can cause so maybe let's remove bullshit nice yeah, well said. Wouldn't be much left though, Tom. Really sorry. And I'm also know that I'm as guilty as the next person of, of using it and using jargon, but sometimes you just have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, bullshit is relative, isn't it? I think if you're in a room with people using acronyms, then you sometimes have to follow suit, don't you? And there's, of course, there is a difference between jargon and bullshit, but I, but I, you know, there, there's way too much of, of both and particularly bullshit. Yeah, and there's big overlaps, surely. Uh, number three, are there any books you would recommend? And I'm going to add, why haven't you written one yet? 
the book, um, there's a standard list, isn't there, of, of advertising and marketing books that you're really supposed to read. And I could say them all. The one that I particularly love is, is Paul Felbrick's Anatomy of Humbug. It's a it's a sort of love letter to all to, to the industry and to the history of the industry. I'm a historian by kind of by degree. So I I, I love the, the 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 history side of that book and the way that it goes through the different uh, I particularly love the way that it, it exposes that some of the language and concepts that we use as being you know, hundred years old, or the proposition, or whatever the, 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 the USP, different different ideas and concepts that we use, and exposes them as really, you know, as something that a particular person at a particular time used or invented to sell their agency, and it's a good reminder that a lot of the concepts we use are are, um, uh, you know, they they were just salesmanship at the time. And it, it also is a great reminder that there is many, many ways that advertising communication can work and it can do many different things. And I think it's um, it, it, I'm probably guilty of this sometimes thinking that things can only work in one way. Um, and I think it's a really important lesson that there are many, many ways um, and, and the best um, marketing, advertising strategy people, I think, come up with their own philosophies about how things work combining different ways and different different kinds of thinking rather than being too um, monotheistic. Let's be polytheistic about how we think things work because um, then we'll get to more bespoke solutions to the problems that our brands and clients have. Excellent. Well, as we record this, our previous episode, which was released last week with um, Alex Morell, Anatomy of Humbug was the one book he would save if he had to choose one. Alex is a very well-read man but it's a, it's a wonderful piece, wonderful book are there any uh, non-industry related books are you a non-industry reader i i'm terrible i'm a terrible um collector of books and buyer of books and i'm not a non-reader of them so that's just an awful question to ask <laughs> my 11 year old um has just chomped through uh, animal farm and kill, to kill a mockingbird and of mice and men and it was a real great pride 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 wow. 11 year old wow. yeah um, and so it's made me think I really need to get back on it um, there was a second part to your to your previous question that I may not have answered what was it uh, whether you why you haven't written a book uh, why I haven't written a book people ask and um, I have this great fear um, of writing the required apparently 80,000 words so it's currently a kind of big Everest to climb um, I'm, my my the pace of my writing. People think I'm prolific. I'm actually not that prolific. I write about two thousand two thousand words every other month, and they are very highly wrought. And um, they take you know each word takes me a lot of time and effort, and I, I find it quite hard. Um, so the idea of it currently is too big. I've I, somebody came to me asking for some some ideas for books, and I, and they they I've got I've got a couple of thoughts. And yeah, it's just, it's about finding the time to really, to, to really do it. Um, I, you know, alongside the day job, it's, it's a tricky thing to do. So uh, I, I also have a doubt about whether I've got anything truly original to say. A lot of the things that I've written are sort of summarizations of other people's thinking and trying to expose and, and, and create accessible other bigger work, more important work people like, you know, Burnett Field and, and Byron Sharp and that kind of thing. And so I, I tend to be a, a writer of, of shorter things, trying to take and democratise in, in our small world, 
um, the, the some some of the key concepts that those kinds of thinkers have have come up with. So the notion that I could come up with my own thing that's that's kind of worthy of a book, I'm not so sure about. But it's you know you can hear the kind of I guess a bit of imposter syndrome about me thinking I'm not really a writer of books. I'm a writer of of blogs and and articles and posts and tweets. So we'll we'll see we'll see about that. Okay, you can always Dave trot them all together. Y- yeah, I I I'm not. Uh, I, I could do a book of my blog posts, but I'm not sure that the publisher would want me to do that. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Uh, brilliant. Number four then, uh, Tom, is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guests. Would you kindly do the honours? I, I sort of nominate, um, I'll do it in honour of Les Burnett, who I was really, I know he's a, you know, one of the big names in our industry and he probably gets used an awful lot as a, as a, as a sort of thinker and as a as a you know his work gets used all the time I, I don't think there's and I was lucky enough to to work with him when I was at Adam and Eve um, I don't think there's an individual maybe alongside Peter Field I don't think there's an individual that has had a greater contribution to proving kind of without doubt the commercial impact of what we do as an industry his, his and Peter's contribution to, to, um, to analysing this thing called the IPA data bank and all of their successive publications are phenomenally important to the industry, not only in the UK, but globally. Not only has, has his work been phenomenally important to that and isn't yet done in terms of um, the impact, the greater impact that it could have beyond the UK and into other markets, it's just a thoroughly brilliant human being, a wonderful, wonderful person. And I was, you know, just really so lucky to to get to work with him. Um, so yeah, Les, this is for you. Amazing. This is very proudly dedicated to, to Les Binet. I, uh, I remember tweeting something years ago uh, to Les. It was along the lines of wishing we could keep him in a cage in the studio like a wise owl, to which he replied he'd happily work for free for uh, uh, for, for infinite supply of cuttlefish. <laughs> He's just a, just a wonderful human being. Just look at his Twitter bio. You know, he calls himself a spreadsheet jockey. Pint-sized spreadsheet jockey. This is a, this is a person that's you know, has a huge impact uh, on, on our industry, but is incredibly just normal and humble and funny and sweet and nice and loves music and dance, dancing and, and doing silly stuff. Although I'm worried. Uh, I'm currently stuck in a, in a little Twitter chat with him and Andrew Wilshire about my... Um... Uh, father-in-law who keeps an excel spreadsheet of what's in the freezer and sadly both les and andrew seem to think that's a good idea ah yeah les is a big believer in collecting um longitudinal data has tremendous amounts of personal data on himself he's yeah he he lives and breathes his belief in long the the long term and the importance of collecting data Um, which, which clearly you're becoming aware of it's <laughs> brilliant um, i'm going to link so a final call to action for, so for everyone listening if you head over to this episode there'll be links there to everything discussed so uh, anatomy of humbug i'm going to link to lots of the articles i couldn't find uh, i know this is going back in time but i couldn't find uh, numbers every marketer should know on your site i mean it, it, it's it's available in a you know plethora of places and all sorts of slide share decks so we can link to that but but do let me know if that's on your site on my blog, I think I gave it a different, I think the article may have a different headline or title. Um, so it's, it may be called, 
most marketing is bad um, because it ignores the most basic data. I think. Good stuff. Well, we'll link, we'll link to all of those. But how else can our listeners get more Tom Roach? The, the, I guess the, the, the blog is thetomroach.com. I write uh, sporadically um, and probably I need to write more frequently for Marketing Week. My articles on Marketing Week subsequently always end up on the blog. Um, I'm a bit on Twitter um, at Tom Roach and I'm a bit on LinkedIn. I prefer Twitter to LinkedIn because it's just funnier and more fun and a bit spikier. But if I have to be on LinkedIn, um, I, I, I post the same stuff on LinkedIn that I posted on Twitter. Um, and, you know, message me, call me up for a conversation. It's amazing this kind of new world that we've got where, and I think I think COVID has sort of done this, where I've, you know, I've had amazing conversations with people who've just messaged me and, and have led to interesting things. So, yeah, very happy to, to, to get a message from somebody and have a chat. Brilliant. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It's been it's been a real a real pleasure and a, a privilege to talk to you. It's been it's been a fun conversation. Thank you very much, Giles. It's been great to be on. And finally, thank you to everybody listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep the questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.